This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. TL Talk Radio, Season 2, Episode 10. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funihatton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funihatton. Good afternoon, Randy. Hello, Lynn. Good to be with you. Absolutely. So in this episode, we are really excited for all of you and for us to have the opportunity to talk with Sylvia Martinez, co-author of Invent to Learn. She co-authored that with Gary Steger. And Invent to Learn, Making, Tinkering, and Engineering a Classroom. This book has been called The Bible of the Classroom Maker Movement. And um, for those of you who have been listening, you know that um, makerspaces and innovation and teaching and learning is something that we're looking for in our district. Um, and Sylvia is a principal advisor to the NSF-funded FabLearn Fellows Program out of Stanford University. For the previous 10 years, Sylvia was the president of Generation Yes, a nonprofit organization evangelizing student leadership through modern technology. And prior to that, Sylvia oversaw product development, design, and programming for consumer software video games and educational games at several software publishing companies. Um, globally, she advocates for authentic learning using real-world design principles and hand-on experiences, and um, she's become a popular international keynote workshop leader and consultant speaking on these topics. Um, lessons for schools from the global maker movement, student empowering, STEM, gender issues and technology, games and learning, and digital citizenship. So welcome to the show, Sylvia. Well, thanks for having me. It's wonderful to have you here, and we've really enjoyed reading your book and are looking forward to the next half hour or so of picking your brain and some of these great ideas. So a couple of podcasts ago, we had the pleasure of interviewing the author Warren Berger, who wrote the book, A More Beautiful Question. So we're going to throw off or kick off this podcast with the first question. And could you uh, describe what is the beautiful question that's behind the book Invent to Learn? And Warren describes a beautiful question as something that is ambitious and actionable. So what would you describe as the beautiful question behind your work? Wow, that's that's a really terrific uh, way to frame it. Um, I had to think. I'm glad you sent this to me ahead of time because I had to think about it. But I, I believe that the the beautiful question behind Invent to Learn is what do we mean by learning, and um, how do we how do we make that happen in a in a in a modern school environment? And uh, you know, by by a learning environment, I mean anything formal, informal, 
anything where we're trying to help children understand the world, make sense of the world, and become part of the world as, you know, um, people who really feel like they have the power to make the changes that that we need in the world. Mm -hmm. So I think that the question about what do we mean by learning is something that's incredibly important and yet we don't often talk about when we talk about what we're going to do in schools because, you know, we all went to school, we all know what school does, so we forget to have that very foundational conversation that we can build on. And I, I love that question. Um, what do we mean by learning? Because it's very much in line with the questions that we're asking. We're at the point now where um, we've we've made some progress over the last five years and we've changed the way our classrooms definitely look different. But we know there's something that we need to do to keep pushing further. And this question of, you know, what exactly do we mean by learning is something that it sounds like such a basic question. But if we want to transform the classrooms even further, we really have to grapple with that and have to figure out exactly what an answer to that pop might might be. And it's certainly open-ended and there's lots of interpretations of that and, and places that people may go. And your book really gives us uh, a good foundation in, in trying to answer that. So I think that that's a, that is a really beautiful question. Thanks for sharing that. So, so that beautiful question, what we know about how people learn, why this idea of making, how does making fit into um, what you've just shared as your question and what we know about people and their learning? Well, I think that's something that when you look back at, you know, the, the, the giants of educational, you know, um, practice of educational psychology of, uh, from Piaget to John Dewey to Maria Montessori, you'll find that they focus almost entirely on what the learner does rather than what we teach the learner. You know, I think a lot of times we confuse this idea of, you know, between teaching and learning. And a lot of times when we talk about what we do in schools, we talk about teaching. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, they're very, very different things. You know, Piaget said to, um, you know, that, that experience is learning and, you, you know, you can't just ignore that. Um, and I think when teachers hear this message, it connects deeply into what they believe about how students really learn. Even if they're not being supported to do that in their schools, um, I have people come up to me all the time and say to me, this book reminded me that, you know, the things I learned in grad school are still true. The things that John Dewey said that inspired me when I was learning to be a teacher are still true and even more true in today's world where we have this new range of materials that put these big ideas um, at students' fingertips. Um, you know, we talk about a lot of those tools and technology in the book, but these ideas are just as valid whatever kinds of learning experiences and whatever kinds of tools you have and materials for the kids to use. So this idea of creating and making and processing your thinking and being the action part of the classroom and really focusing on the learning as opposed to focusing on the what the teacher is doing. So part a lot of the book is talking about some recent uh, new ideas in education, mostly centered around the work of Seymour Papert who is a professor, he's a professor emeritus now at MIT, who invented the term constructionism, mm -hmm. which is something that builds on Piaget's constructivism, 
Um, and actually, Papert was a colleague of Piaget's who helped Piaget understand how children learn math. So in, in coining this new term constructionism, he builds on the idea of Piaget that knowledge is a consequence of experience. Piaget said you can't deliver learning to the learner. It's something that happens in the head of each learner in a very unique way, building on their existing experiences. What Papert added to that was the idea that doing something with your hands or in your head, making something shareable, um, something that's meaningful to you and to the people around you, actually cements and enhances the learning. So, you know, it doesn't have to be like, uh, you know, a wooden boat that you build out with hammer and nails and wood. It can be a computer program or a poem or a piece of art or, you know, um, uh, thinking, thinking and talking. It could be a conversation, thinking and talking about mathematics or science. Um, but this idea of, um, you know, communicating with things and communicating with what you do um, that reinforces this learning is a very powerful one. And it's no coincidence that a lot of the ideas and tools and people who are at the heart of the maker movement come out of this MIT Seymour Papert um, family. So this idea of that you that you can't deliver you can't deliver learning to the learner that was one thing that you know I really connected with because I think much of our education system today is built on the the you know wrong belief obviously that that's what learning is that it can be delivered from from the teacher um, to to the learner and you know then I then I hear about this idea of maker spaces and then i wonder like why are we limiting it to this space in one one place in the school where all the all this you know uh thinking happens that's in line with with the the thinkers that you talk about in your book and why are we talking about just a maker space as opposed to looking at systemic change where that theory is debunked all over the system and all over the school and and so i i thought that that was something that i had really connected with well yeah i think i think a lot of people have said the same thing to us um gary often says that the best maker space is between your ears um, and I think that's, that's, uh, that's true. Um, you know, in our book, we, we don't actually call for building a new maker space for the very reason that, that you just laid out. Um, it tends to, uh, you know, segregate the idea that making is something you do when you go to that special right, place. Right. And we have a very good historical precedent for thinking this might happen, which is the computer lab. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, you, this may have happened in your school district. You built a computer lab because they were special, they were expensive, there was only one teacher or, or there was a teacher you, that you thought would be good at spreading the word. But what it often turned into um, was that kids would visit the computer lab once a week or once a month and do computer. And that gave permission for the rest of the school not to change. And, I, you know, I definitely worry that in three years, people are going to say, well, I bought a 3D printer and nothing happened. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> you know, building a makerspace, buying a 3D printer is not going to change the way your school views the learning process. So we have to go back to your to your beautiful question again, and that is, you know, how 
how do we, what do we mean by learning? I think that was your question. And if we define it in a way that's not that idea, that doesn't represent that idea that we're delivering content from um, the teacher to the learner, then we can start to think in that in that way that these this idea of making and doing is something that's throughout the whole system and not just in one little corner of the system where people go to make and do, and then we go back to the old way. Um, so right. I think if we really ground our thinking in that in that big question again, that's when we're going to start to make some movement um, towards making our systems more the way that you describe. Mm-hmm. So in in your book, yeah, you you have uh, numerous pieces of terminology. You use things like making and tinkering, engineering. So uh, clarify some of these terms uh, with us and how can an understanding of these three ways of doing lead to uh, what you describe in your chapter as a great project? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we chose those words very deliberately. Um, You know, they're, they're different lenses to, to look through their different frameworks you can use to think about what's happening as you try and change the, the learning environments that, that, you know, you have, um, you know, making is the physical thing, the, the action that the, that the learner is doing. Um, the, you know, tinkering is more of the process. We're, we're trying to uphold a process that's not this kind of linear, um, you know, directed kind of process that we we lead kids through in a lot of classrooms. Um, tinkering has kind of gotten a bad rap. People hear tinkering and think the lonely guy in his basement, mm. you know, sort of just flailing. But I think to me, and, and if you read the literature about how scientists really work, the word tinkering, and in French, the word bricolage is also used often in this context, um, is more deliberate, not deliberate in in a step in a step by step way, but deliberate in the focus, deliberate in, you know, the the maybe the goal that you have, um, in that tinkering is something that you can allow kids to do. It gives them more agency over their work, um, much like say a painter would kind of step back and take a breath and look at their painting and go. Needs uh, to be more blue, right? And they decide what blue means. They decide how much change that means. Do I start over or do I keep going? Do, you know, lots of questions that come up that are part of the learning process that we don't give kids a lot of time to do. Mm-hmm. And I think engineering is the formalization of all of that. The the way to bring the math and science into it, the way to bring design into it, um, engineering in a way that you know, I think things like the next generation science standards make very clear that engineering design is as important to science as is the scientific method, uh, the traditional sort of test and evaluate thing that we call science. So for us, those three pieces of terminology reflect different lenses on what to look for when you're designing an educational um space uh you know what you're going to ask the kids to do and that the 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 next chapter after that talks about how to do these things to create great projects so thinking about these great projects you talk about three game changers fabrication Mm -hmm. computing and programming how can these game changers revolutionize what we're doing in our classrooms and what students are doing and go back to answer that question that you've talked about 
yeah, so it, in the book we talk about the game changers because it's it's not just you buy anything, you know, it's like, oh, let's get a pile of, you know, stuff and let the kids fool around. Um, I think, you know, I think people kind of have these kind of magical, wishful thinking that if you just let kids fool around, that somehow they will be, you know, the magic will happen and then all of a sudden learning will happen. I think it's a much more deliberate act than that. And what the challenge is, is for teachers to continually update their toolkit of tools and materials that really push the kids and push themselves um, to, you know, come run across the big ideas that we want kids to think about in, in science and math class and all kinds of different classes. So these three game changers, fabrication, uh, physical computing, and programming, we think are where these new materials really can enhance what teachers do in their classrooms and other learning spaces. Um, fabrication is, you know, is 3D printing. It's also um, any kind of, uh, you know, laser cutting as well. So there's additive fabrication technologies, subtractive fabrication technologies. Physical computing is, you could think of it as robotics, but it's also wearable computing, um, you know, anything where you're getting data from the real world or controlling things in the real world, um, you know, from drones to wearables to, um, you know, all these embedded open source microcontrollers that are getting incredibly cheap and incredibly powerful. And then finally, programming, which I think is kind of cheating because it goes across all of them. <laughs> It's really the nervous system of the maker movement. Um, and we chose these, and you might notice that there's technology and computing in all of these. Mm -hmm. um, we're really pushing the idea that the computer is the game changer, that, that computational technology is what elevates this beyond um, crafts. You know, and hey, I love crafts, but... I'm no, I don't think anybody's saying that making macaroni collages is going to change education, mm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So I, the challenge in our book, we're kind of challenging teachers to step outside their comfort zone and try some of these new things that bring mathematics and technology and prediction and, and numeracy and measurement into the artistic, fun, whimsical things that kids can build these days. So in chapter nine, you talk about learning environments and mm -hmm. specifically creating an intellectual design space. I think that's what you call it. Uh, so why do we need to reshape this thing called the learning environment? How does that fit into all of this? I think we get it with young kids. We look at them playing in the sandbox and we say, oh, they're natural engineers. Look at them. They're learning cause and effect. And, you know, we kind of accept that kids learn through play. And then school sometime says to us, well, now we're going to get serious. And we take away this playful environment. We take away the playful tools. We tell kids to sit down and listen while we explain to them how the world works. And it, that's just not how people work. So, you know, as you kind of go up in grade level, you see the learning environments get less and less playful, get less and less rich with material. Um, and it's, it's not doing anybody any good. You know, um, I think that when we try and manage the learning environment so tightly that kids can't have a thought that we haven't pre-thought for them, 
you know, that they can't like let their minds wander or or look on a shelf and think, well, that's a great book or I'd like to try that or maybe this is something I can use. You know, we've scrubbed the environment of every every object that they might use to, to think with. Um, we're not doing them any favors. So, you know, I'm not saying every classroom has to just be a gigantic pile of junk, but I think we can curate, just like we curate books for kids, we curate materials for kids, we can create learning environments that are stimulating, rich, at every age. That's such an interesting way to phrase it, just like we curate books for kids. You know, just like I'm thinking, yeah, we do curate a lot of things to provide a lot of different learning opportunities, and this is similar to that. Mm-hmm. You know, when I when I go to schools and I talk about the tools of the maker movement, I don't say just, you know, buy anything that's stamped maker, right? I mean, some things are too expensive. They're not age appropriate. They're not, they're toys. They're, they don't have that kind of lasting value. Um, I think, but I think, and that's what we tried to talk about in our Game Changer chapter, is how to select things that really have that, what they call low, low threshold, high ceiling, you know, that, that, you can use quickly, but they're incredibly deep. Mm. So you go back to them. And that supports the idea of iterative design, where kids can not just do something once and get a grade, but they can actually look at it and say, I want to change it. I want to fix it. I want to make it better. Um, and the learning environment and the teacher creates those opportunities and creates those timelines where everything's not the teacher's work and the teacher's to-do list and the teacher's timeline. And that's a balance. I mean, that's something that takes time to do and figure out. Good projects don't just happen overnight. You don't just do them and they're perfect. Mm -hmm. Very little of our work in the real world is done the first time. And, <laughs> you know, when you think about it, there's very little that we do and basically publish or are prepared to share off the, off the bat. Sure. And, and look, I get, the, I get the reason that teachers want to shorten that timeline. There's constant pressure to move on. There's a next chapter. There's a test. There's a, you know, we, it's like go, go, go. And so the teachers try and help the students get through the material as quickly as possible. And it's, it's done all in the best of, with, of, with the best of intentions. But what it does is give the students the message that they simply have to wait and the teacher will tell them what to do next. And then we complain that kids can't think out of the box or, you know, have self-initiative. And it's like, yeah, we train them to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting perspective. So you've given us a couple of ideas that this maker movement will help us to, um, you just shared the idea of, of basically design thinking and that you're not just going to have something finished the first time you do it, and students are going to um, continue to improve their work and um, have this iterative process. How else can the maker movement reignite this idea of progressive education? Um, well, I think progressive education, first of all, is a good thing. I mean, mm -hmm. some people use it like you know an evil. It's a, you know evil idea. Um, I think progressive education just means that you're constantly thinking and reinventing mm -hmm. um, and focusing on the learning, not the you know the external stuff of schools. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that's a good thing, and I think that bringing up these hard questions is something that that you guys are are doing and all credit to you 
That's the job of leadership is to allow the time for the teachers to collaborate and ask themselves tough questions and and feel free, feel feel like they won't be punished for doing something new. Um, because, you know, teachers often are faced with this, you know, they want to make changes, but there's no time to talk about it. There's no time to think about it. So they feel like they either can't do it or they sort of have to close their door and sneak it in. And that's now not how it can happen systemically. Um, systemically, there has to be have to be leaders who allow real time to think about these things on on a long term basis. Not the last question of the day when everybody's headed out the door and somebody's like, you know, okay, it's four fifty nine before Thanksgiving weekend. Let's talk about what learning really means. It's like, oh, you know, who wants to do that, right? You know, so. You have to have the time for teachers to feel free to take risks in their thinking and their speaking and look at other work, look at what other people are doing. I think that's a huge part of how we look at the maker movement, not just as a thing we buy, but as a way to begin a very important conversation about making school better. That's so interesting that you bring up the idea of a question and we we have a group of teachers that we're working with once a month that we're calling the Innovate Salisbury team and last month we talked about this idea of inquiry and questioning and are we really promoting questions among ourselves among our kids you know what do what do kids think about questions in our classrooms um, you know are they invited or are they distraction and we just had such a great conversation about our thoughts and reflecting on our our work as teachers and as leaders of our questions really welcome. <laughs> so that was interesting. That's such important work. Congratulations for, for doing that. Well, thank you. Very kind. And I really appreciate the fact that you bring up this idea of leadership too, because uh, I think one of the challenges that all leadership faces that is committed to progressive education is how do you provide the space and the resources for the educators to have those conversations. Um, you know, it's financial resources, it's material resources, and it's that finite resource of time. And so we're constantly sort of fending off the system, the mandates of the system, and and figuring out what's sort of what what do we really need to do to satisfy that beast, so to speak, um, and and provide the space and the resources to the, to our educators at the same time. And that's what really allows us to move forward. And I think that that's, that's our leadership challenge. And I really like the fact that you, you brought up the, um, the importance and the value of leadership in bringing about uh, some of these changes. We, we have a, a summer institute called Constructing Modern Knowledge, and um, it's in July every year in Manchester, New Hampshire. Um, every year we provide a space for educators to really think through and do um, work on this question. And one of the biggest things that we provide is a model for them that you can work and think at the same time. They don't, you know, it's not a session, session, session type of thing. The teachers and the educators, administrators spend the four days working on projects of their own choice. And at the end of the, the end of the time, they often come come back with the conclusion that the time has to be shaped differently, mm. that they realize how important it is to, for the process to happen and for, their be, for the time to exist 
to allow a natural process that everyone's on a different timeline. Everyone's starting at a different place, ending at a different place, thinking different things. And yet working on something that's important to you brings all this to the surface. Um, you know, we have teachers every year who do amazing projects, make things they never thought they could make, learn technology that, you know, they, they never thought they could understand. And then, um, you know, after four days, they say, it's not the technology that I want to take back to my school so much. It's this idea of time and process. And, you know, constructing modern knowledge was something that, that we've done before the book was written. We wrote the book because we wanted to explain some of these ideas. Um, but, but the, but the summer Institute is where we really show them how it works in practice. It can be done. We're sure about this. It's happening in lots of schools. It can happen in professional development. Um, teachers want to learn these kinds of skills and they need the time to, to learn them. So the Institute is the place that you go to do and to learn how to do all these things and bring that bring it all together. Yes, we uh, we really try and walk that talk. You know, a lot of people sometimes say to us midstream, it's like, well, how come there's no tutorial on Arduino or this or that? It's like, you know, if, if we all sat and learned about these things, we'd never have time to do anything. And that's exactly the point in classrooms is we spend a lot of time telling kids things and then give them very little time to actually integrate that into their own heads, which is where the learning really happens. You know, a lot of people worry that this kind of messing around time is a waste of time. So they shortcut it. They think, well, I'll, I'll help the kids. I won't, they won't have to mess around and, you know, learn by doing. I'll just tell them how all this works. And then they're surprised when the kids don't actually learn it. Mm. Um, the same way we do with teachers. We tell, 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 and then we're surprised when classroom practice doesn't change. So, you know, we try and walk the talk um, in all the professional development we do. So as we uh, get to the last bend of our interview here, uh, let's change the subject slightly. I think earlier this week I saw on Twitter where you are moderating a book chat uh, on PAECT, which is our, our state technology organization. Do you want to uh, do a little advertising or tell us a little bit about what's going to be involved with that? Um, well, the, there's a, you know, the, the book chat is happening between people, PACECT participants who have the book, who want to discuss it. I'm coming in at least once, I think, just to kind of talk about the book, answer questions. Um, you know, again, it's this time to process. Mm -hmm. I, no, I don't think anybody believes you can just read a book and then boom, the, the ideas are in your head. Um, I think that's the same kind of myth that people are thinking about, you know, that teaching actually results in kids learning. The talking about the book with between the participants is how they actually start to think and churn and, you know, I read this, but that's not quite what I do. And do I have to change everything? Is everything I'm doing wrong? Do I, you know, um, can I, can I do some of this and what parts are really important for me? I think that's all important processing that happens through conversation. And I really support any organization that wants to use our book as the basis for a chat. Um, it's obviously the chat that's a, that's the that's the action that's the the making that happens. Um, you know, I think it also points out that people mistake making for this physical activity. You have to end up with a you know 
a robot or else it's not making. I think that making has a more subtle and deeper definition when you when you think more about the term constructionism. Um, that conversation is a huge part of making. That making sense is the most important part of making, whether it's kids or adults or anyone. Um, helping people make sense of the world, of the world, helping them untangle the ideas and the thoughts in their own head and create actionable paths that are unique to themselves, that's the most important part of this maker movement to me. Yes, and that conversation is something that takes time. We go back to that time time element too. Once again, back to time. And time and also a, a culture that's willing to have those conversations and um, is interested and feel safe. So that's a big piece of it too, I'm sure. So wrapping this up, um, we've had a chance to talk about your work and you've certainly given us a lot to think about and share and, and learn more about. And um, we'll share some of those items in the notes for our, our listeners. But what are you thinking about right now? What beautiful questions are you currently working towards? Well, um, currently I'm working with a, a lot of people, both the, the Fabloon Fellows at Stanford, a lot of school districts, um, of how to put these ideas into action. Um, and second, another thing I've been thinking a lot about is equity and inclusion. How do you make this not just for the kids who are already, you know, sort of the ones you know would be interested in making a robot, but how do you extend these experiences so that not just girls, I mean, I think obviously people think about girls in STEM, um, and obviously we want more girls to participate in these activities. So how do you create those environments where girls or artists or, you know, kids who are interested in music really feel like they can tackle some of this, some of this technology to do the things that they find important and beautiful? So empowering others to be willing to make and then share um, through your idea of, of equity. Um, so looking forward to learning more about that, that work in the future. Well, we've got several books in the works um, by, by both Gary and I and uh, other people. We wrote the book Invent to Learn and self-published it and then decided, well, I guess we're a publishing company now, so we're <laughs> publishing. I know, it's sort of very a maker thing to do. Um, and the self-publishing tools that are available today are just incredible. So we have now four books, five books. We just released our fifth book written by educators, um, very, some very different books. One is written by a 14-year-old girl named Super Awesome Sylvia, mm -hmm. YouTube star. And so she wrote a book for kids, wrote and illustrated a book for kids about Arduino and making projects with the Arduino microcontroller. We have several books by educators talking about what they do in the classroom um, and, the, and more in the works. Sounds really exciting. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Sylvia. And we will link in the show notes information for our listeners to learn more about you and your work. Uh, SylviaMartinez.com. You can view her books. You can view her upcoming keynotes, workshops, and you can read her blog. And um, if you're interested in following and connecting, at S. Martinez. And also I will link in there the Constructing Modern Knowledge Institute uh, this summer. It looks like July 12th to the 15th in New you Hampshire. Yes, that's it. So we'll have all of those items there, and we thank you for taking the time to join us. Well, thank you for inviting me. I really, really, really 
um, find the work you're doing fascinating. And I think it's such important work. And I thank you for doing it. Thank you. Well, thank you. Each episode, we leave with a couple of questions for us to think about with the idea of provoking conversation. This episode's question, what elements of making, tinkering, and engineering would you like to try in your classroom? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or just find out more about resources and links we've shared in today's episode, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org. Look for season two, episode 10. We would love for you to rate the show on iTunes. Let us know your star rating and consider leaving a one or two sentence review. If you have time to do that, you'll help new folks discover this content. That's it for now. We'll see you next episode for a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Sylvia. Thank you. Thank you. Take care, Lynn. Bye-bye. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.